0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cloud Unfiltered. We have the CTO of Swim, Simon Crosby. How are you doing, Simon? Thanks so
1: much for having me. Yeah, it's, I'm doing well, thank you.
0: Uh, that's awesome. So Simon, we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, what's going on in the industry. Um, and you had some interesting perspective about um, you know the way people are kind of collecting data right now and are analyzing that data. And it's kind of like, you, your feeling is it's the reverse of the way that it really should be to be beneficial right now. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that. Sure.
1: I mean, the cloud guys are spending a hundred million dollars in marketing to get you to put all your data in the cloud, right? With the promise that wonderful things will happen as a result. And you know what? It's mostly BS. So what's really happening is people are recording a ton of data from things. What from every product on the planet is now instrumented from every employee from every mobile device and so on. And we have this idea that it'll be of great use to understand what's going on in context and you know figure out how to behave better in the future, how to drive apps, how to better deliver stuff and so on. The problem is that the data isn't inherently a value. What's a value is the analysis of the data in some context and just collecting it and storing it Yeah, it doesn't really solve anybody's problem. And if you think about it, what we've been told all these years is that big data will solve it, right? So you're going to stick it on a big hard disk somewhere, or big in the cloud somewhere, and big data magic will come and make sense of it for you. Of course. But but there are problems with that. First of all, there's too much data to save. Second of all, the half-life of data is quite limited. So that is, if it takes you 10 hours to process the data, but the value of the data was only, I mean, it was only an ephemeral update. What's the point, right? You can't do anything with it anyway. And it's very expensive to do that. And so what we have to do is adjust the way we think about data to something which I think is innately very attractive to humans. And I'll summarize it this way. You need to analyze learn and predict on the fly hey that's what you do as a human right you walk Absolutely. down the street you experience the world around you tons of data and you analyze it learn and predict on the fly and then do you keep all the raw data Ah, not so much okay so often raw data is of minimal value once you've done the thinking Maybe sometimes you have to keep it for compliance or other reasons. But
2: I was, uh, I was just about to ask, what do you say to the people who say, oh, I've got to keep it for 10 years yeah. of compliance or, or whatever. Cool.
1: And <laughs> you might, you might have to do that, but uh, I'll give you some staggering numbers in a sec um, sure. for compliance. You have to, but there's never any reason not to analyze, learn and predict and then store. So store and then analyze is the wrong way around. Right. And the reason this is so important is that, gosh, just Muslim, you know, every time you reach out to a hard disk, whether it's local or remote, you're going a million times slower than the CPU. Yep. And do you know what, let me give you a human's very really bad at positive 10. So let me tell you about a million is, um, in terms of speed, it's a good comparison would be an F 18 fighter. <laughs> and a snail. Okay, so an F eighteen fighter goes about fifteen hundred kilometers an hour, and a snail goes about half a meter an hour. That, by the way, is a million. Okay, so every time your cloud-based database app, you know, you have some instance in in you know in say in the northeast and something in the west. Yeah, that's eight. You know, that's eighty million nanoseconds to get there. <laughs> wow. Okay, so it's really, really slow. Yeah. it's like going to the cloud costs you the last five generations of muscle.
2: Wow. So going, so one of the things I'll just really quick, one of the things that you see the cloud providers say or do is, is, well, you know, you're trading maybe latency and speed for data gravity and data, data central centrality, right? Like, I'm, I'm able to put my data up in the cloud, it's accessible from everywhere, everywhere. You've got companies that are doing things like cloud storage, gateways so on and so forth. So are they, are they just advocating for the wrong thing or is there, is there actually value in what they're trying to do, but just maybe now, not? They're not evil. I mean, they're partially evil in the sense <laughs> that it's really handy
1: if they can store all your data and charge you for it in the meantime. Right. Absolutely. But, um, you know, I think as an industry, we've been trying to figure out how best to analyze, learn, break from huge amounts of data. And the best we've come up with this far is this thing called MLOps, which is a disaster zone, as far as I can tell. It's this idea that you'll find yourself a tame data scientist. They'll build you a model of the thing and train it in the cloud using old data. And then you'll find some ways to deploy it and use it in anger, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you know, <laughs> find me a data scientist, and I'll give you some good examples of why this is hard. If you wanted to predict the traffic in every city in the US, go find me a data scientist to build a model of every city in the US. It's not going to happen, right? It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, um, And then do that for every, every other application where you might want to use you know, data. So you know, there's more data than you can shake a stick at. And there are more problems, more applications which can use data. And there are way too few data scientists who are capable of doing this complex problem of turning data into into predictive insights. And so, again, this calls in my mind for something which is a different approach, where you analyze and predict on the fly, and whether or not you keep the data is up to you. But analyzing and learning and predicting on the fly has this additional advantage, which is that, you get your insights immediately. You don't have to wait, you know, for the analysis to
0: happen. So I guess the real artistry around it is to figure out how much data you need to, to be useful and what kind of data you need to be useful in, in order to have that analysis uh, be effective. So, you know, you need, you need to store enough in a buffer so that you have pieces of that data that you need to reassemble yeah. and create that.
1: That's a great point. But that's a great point. Actually, there's no problem. well I'll get this in a second. I'll tell you how swim works. But there's no problem storing say the last five minutes around every event, right? Keeping a ring buffer of stuff. So if something goes wrong, you have five minutes of history, or even sure. an hour, or whatever it happens yeah, to be. Yeah,
0: whatever time frame.
1: Yeah. yeah. But but. Um, you really don't care that a traffic light went green last Tuesday morning at 8.07 and 13 seconds. You really don't care. No. What you do care is that when you get to the light, it will be green, okay? And that you can predict with accuracy from all, all of the past, including the fact that there was a football game or whatever it happened to be or a big snowstorm, and that's somewhere in the model somewhere. And so this is a bit like human learning right you learn based on the past you may be wrong the cool thing about this approach to learning by the way is that you can track your error so at all times you're predicting some notion of future and then the future actually happens and so you can test your prediction against the future against what actually happens and take that error and back propagate it into the model okay more than that you can track the error and see whether it diverges or converges. If it's converging, you're great. You're continually improving your ability to estimate and predict. If it's diverging, then you're in deep trouble.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you're highlighting a, a pretty key concept here in that we always think about storing the data then analyzing the data. And I think that that often puts us in a situation where we're looking backwards, right? We're looking at what has happened yeah. uh, and we're doing analysis on what we, you know, our predictions of the future are fundamentally based on what has happened in the past. And I feel like what you're advocating for is the 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 as you minimize that gap, right? Your predictions actually become a lot more future-based because you're yes. no longer- so the, on the data. Like,
1: Spot on. So the question is then how minimal can you make the gap? and so a hypothesis would be this that say say you're in the insurance business right um you know if you know if you can predict um if you know a whole bunch more stuff because you make better bets or if you're if you're so i'll give an example we have an app which tracks every every public transit vehicle in gosh probably 30 or 40 cities in the u.s but if we overlay that with weather patterns and a ton of other stuff, we can predict smog right now. I can tell you the, the NOx level in San Francisco or in, you know, in Las Vegas. And so that value you know, is useful to an insurer who's trying to understand the risk of doing a thing. Okay.
0: Absolutely. There are other
1: use cases. I'll, I'll tell you if you're interested in large amounts of data. By the way, um,
0: the I mean, who isn't light...
2: interested in large amounts of data?
1: <laughs> well, the traffic lights in Palo Alto produce more data every day than all of Twitter.
2: Wow. I, I surprisingly believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like every 30 feet is a stoplight. And, uh, Damn tram goes down. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> and,
1: and the data isn't that nice, right? It's horrible, stuff. It's Like voltages on relays and terrible things. It's <laughs> not reds and, and greens. Um, and the data in Las Vegas from about 5,000 lights is about 10 times the volume of data in the entire Library of Congress. Wow. Okay. And I can go bigger than that. <laughs> um, so our largest app is one we work with a mobile provider to optimally op- optimize connection quality for all their handsets, right? So it's 150 million devices, network and everything else nationally. That's four petabytes per day. That's a Facebook's worth of data every wow. single day. Okay. And what we have to do is analyze, learn, and predict for every device where will be, what base station should match to how we should, you know, optimize the assignment of capacity from the network to the devices. Okay. Do you really care about storing four petabytes a day? Could you afford to?
2: Yep. So I, I want to go back to your your hardware conversation or, or rather the, the public cloud conversation. So I feel like in the in, in more recent times, the, the thought process has been, let's get our things in the public cloud because, um, Again, there's gravity, uh, I can minimize my, my my hardware footprint, I can scale with what I need. You know, you, you mentioned actually a lot about like doing analysis of telemetry data and, and everybody knows serverless is a great way to, you know, start thinking about functions as a service. So I'm curious if if we're not putting things in the cloud and we're saying that we need to do this at the edge, Right? What does that software or hardware stack look like? You know what? Uh, <laughs> no, perfect. Stop at edge. Stop at edge. <laughs> so
1: let's let's think about edge. Um, what is edge computing anyway? You know, if you're adopting a vaguely sane architecture, then all your data is encrypted. Okay. How far is it encrypted to? Oh, all the way to the app, right? Uh-huh. Okay. So edge. Edge data processing means what? It means the data is unencrypted, and at the very least, I have access to that CPU. It does not necessarily mean that I'm going to compute complex things on you know wimpy edge devices like Raspberry Pis. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. But edge is where all the data comes from. It's and then edge data processing really occurs at the first point of which closest to the data because you want to minimize cost or latency. It's a point closest to the data where it's unencrypted and you have access to the CPU. Often, that's the cloud.
2: Yep. Yep. That's interesting.
0: uh, Yeah, a lot of times, though, I mean, when when we talk about Edge, um, you know, or a lot of people talk about Edge, they're talking about, um, you know, putting... I don't know, uh, jets and nanos or, you know, things that have yeah. the capability to do processing right there. And they do yes. the modeling somewhere else and they'll put the, the you know, they'll just deploy the model there to process. Yes.
1: And uh, that's a useful model. It's kind of an embedded model, right? Yeah. yeah. So next, next gen widget of some variety has the ability to predict. The question is how will that stuff go to market? So there, and I don't think we know the answer yet, but there's a hypothesis that there is a market for IOT smart companies to, to do this kind of thing, right. Mm -hmm. For old stuff, maybe that will transpire, but there is another way in which this definitely will occur. And that is for Schneider and ABB and, Mm -hmm. you know, Siemens to put smarter stuff on those things in their box. Yep. And sell me a whole new box. Right. And we don't know yet.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um,
1: But by the the last one on that one, the lifecycle management is a big deal, right? So in general, security of those things, updating the models, updating the software is a big problem. And so, you know, I think customers are going to want to minimize complexity and go with as few moving parts as possible.
0: Right. Yeah, you know, and that's what that—that's a good point that you bring up because I what what we see and what I think you know a lot of people that have been on this show have seen is that you know what customers are really looking for is the answer to analytics and to AI that is simplified. Right now, there is no good answer to that. You know, right Right. now, if I want to deploy Kubeflow. I have to figure out how to deploy Kubeflow. I have to figure out how to, to do Kubernetes. And, you know, yeah. I actually know how to do that stuff. But there's so many people out there that, uh, you know, that don't know and don't even have the right. first idea. Well, you're highlighting
2: it. actually why, too, we see the public cloud players being in this space, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a need, right? There's there's a need to, to bridge the gap between where, they, where we are today and what the immediate need is. And then I think what, Simon, you're really getting at, which is what does this look like if you're rolling your own? right? And how can right. you optimize this to, to the best of your ability?
1: So one of, one of the th- important things we often forget about in cloud adoption is that really what's happening is there is a huge de-skilling of IT. And maybe it's just kids coming in or whatever it happens to be. But <laughs> you know, as we conv- continue to invent cool new stuff like Kubernetes or whatever, most IT people or our people in orgs don't know this stuff. And so we find that many traditional organizations are de-skilling, not voluntarily, they just don't know how to use it. So if there is a place which is a center of excellence and the major clouds are, then sure, you're going to use it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that comes back to things like like what you're talking about, the product that you're talking about is because, you know, we don't want to figure that out. The companies that are that are out there don't want to have to have that skill set. They want an analyst. They don't want to have to have a scientist. They want to they want to be able to figure this stuff out by just throwing data at it and saying, okay, you figure it out. You 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 figure out the algorithms, you know,
1: I think that's right. You know, you could say, is there a market for edge AI or AI? And no, there isn't in my view. There's a market for vertical outcomes. Okay, so for sure, there is a market for, you know, an oil platform that is 10% more efficient or whatever it happens to be. But, you know, is there a market for somebody to go and figure out how to build a model to do? No, (laughs) I want to buy that packaged up.
0: Absolutely. I almost feel like there needs to be a service that's just cloud data uh, architects and scientists because, you know, nobody can afford to hire these people on site, you know?
1: So there is, there, there yeah. is such a thing. It's called C3 AI. It's, it's effectively this, you know, trying to get all the smart people in one room and then rent them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> But the but the majority of the smaller companies can't afford to do that, and really well, okay. everybody everybody needs AI in their in their flow to be competitive. I mean, yeah. we need to analyze. We have so much data coming out us at us these days. I mean, we need to understand what are if we're selling something. Who are the people that are buying? What is social yeah. media saying? Who are the what are the governments doing these days because it might affect my product? If, do we great. have, you know, <laughs> so there's all this data that we have to consume and we have to figure out, you know, what is the best way and how do we how do we analyze this fast enough? And the smaller companies can't figure that out because they don't have the money to do it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you just them.
0: So just to, just to pivot a little bit because I feel like it's impossible to
2: talk about data and not talk about MI and 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 well, M I. Hey, that's, that's a new one. <laughs> AI ML, right? Just inventing new buzzwords as we yeah. go. Um, you know, it's it's impossible to talk about data and not talk about those. So I'm kind of curious, what is your impression on that side of things, right? So we've talked a lot about data where the data should be stored, where it should be processed. But what let's talk about the processing its processing itself for a second. What what's the Good. status of of uh, ML and AI in, in the industry right now? Is it still a buzzword or is it is it more of a reality that can actually be realized? So I think for vertical applications where people are selling to a customer who wants a vertical
1: outcome, Yeah, cool. It's another technique. It's like you know competing the average. I can yep. hire some smart people and they'll go and do it for your particular petroleum cracker or whatever it is but as a general toolkit it's still way hard most people can't go off and build their own apps which do this right okay so and and the question is can we make the capability generally useful can you make it could you just go and download a library and go and do this yeah it's hard yeah Um, now what we're doing at swim is specifically trying to build models from streaming data on the fly. So models that build themselves, that is build an entity, an actor for every single source of data, and then let them form themselves into a model actively by looking for things like correlations or other relationships that appear in the data or that you may tell us about. So for example, if I want all the, if I want predictions for the future of traffic in a city, um, every intersection can learn and predict for itself by by using its own state, that is all the sensors that it contains, and all of its neighbors. Okay, and neighborliness is just a straightforward, a fine computation based on latitude and longitude. It's just simple, right? But this idea that every Every intersection or a digital twin of every intersection can learn and predict from its own data and the data of its neighbors is pretty amenable. It's very small. So by contrast with big AI models, and you see all stuff by GPT-3 and so on, which you're fabulous. These are tiny models with maybe a thousand inputs or something. They can build, parametrize, and learn themselves. And They can bail out if they're diverging. And so you have a very simple constructive model, a constructive approach. So to build a model and for it to learn for itself, to train itself, all I need is a source of data about, you know, any section and its neighbors. And by the way, if I have 5,000 of them or 10,000 as in Houston, fine, it'll just build itself. And so the idea that you can build models that, Analyze, learn, predict, straight from streaming data.
2: Actually, turns out to work in in a bunch of use cases that we're aware of. Are there any use cases where it doesn't work? Where you feel like maybe it is better to just store the data and do post analysis opposed to the telemetry? Yeah. Algorithm? Oh, oh,
1: for sure. And um, what the the work that we've done thus far has been in the domain of streaming data where the data is changes of state on the part of things, right? Not like, you know, analyzing language models like you might find in GPT-3 or analyzing websites for, you know, for a wording as you might find in Google and, and so on. So we're, we're analyzing the communications, which is the streaming state changes of things in the real world, telling whoever is listening that they're changing their state and looking for ways to build models from that, right? That, I can get my head around that. I don't know how to do the stuff those smart buffins do at GP3. (laughs)
0: Sure. So, so how do you go about, so, so you have this, uh, you know, auto configuring model, how do you go about annotating the the data that's coming in so that it can understand and correlate that, that, and create that model? Because obviously you have different streams that have different names of different things. So but, how do you, how do you map that? And so that, do you have to do a mapping one time so that it understands that, hey, uh, a light is a light on this side or a light is a bulb on this side or something like that? In j- so... <clears throat>
1: Gosh, I'm going to get into the <laughs> Swim language here, so forgive me, <laughs> yeah, there are no worries. doing it. So what Swim does is create a stateful process. So think of it as stateful Lambda, if you know the cloud world, sure. yep. which you do, um, for everything in data. So it's a stateful Lambda in that what's arriving is really, whatever, it's random, it's original source format data, right? And that's being safely processed into something which is stored in memory. So we have lots of billions, maybe, of these little objects, each of which is processing its own real-world data and storing in memory. Okay, but it's related to other things in some way, right? Mm-hmm. And that relationship could be obvious. That is the kind of thing you would declaratively put up front, right, in this traditional schema, like containment. I'm a, an intersection. I contain one or more, you know, uh, sensors, right. Containment is one or whatever. Um, and there are others which are mathematical, right? So let me give you a really cool mathematical one. We do a bunch of traffic work in Dubai. And so here is a request, find all trucks with bad braking behavior, and tell the nearest inspector as the truck is approaching. Okay. So with bad braking behavior means I have to evaluate every single GPS update from every truck and figure out whether or not the truck is behaving bad. Straightforward. That's just for this kind of digital twin of a truck, figure out if it's good or bad, right? But then find the nearest inspector and link them up and then predict when the truck will be there and tell the inspector to build the truck over, that's hard, right? <laughs> and that is, uh, it involves a bunch of uh, fine calculations like proximity and so on, predictions, when it's going to be in various places, and notifications, so an automated response. And so those sorts of things are, I guess, a trade off between application specific and um, an inherent functional things you would want Swim to do for you, like find when this thing is going to be in this geospace, this geofence, right? Mm -hmm. That's an obvious thing to put in Swim, but the application use of that is kind of specific to traffic in Dubai. Okay. Um, What you want to do is make that really easy to use for the application developer. Okay. So in the case of Swim, all of those native functions are in there, what the the developer is doing is writing a couple of thousand lines of Java, which is the behavior of one of these little actors. So we just use a Java object in our world is also an actor. It's also concurrent. And that just describes how this real world works. Okay. Gotcha. So there's always some bit where you have to describe the application specific behavior you want.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. The key,
1: thing is to, the, the key thing is to make, we're trying to find a, I guess a trade-off between having to pre-build models or to pre-describe a world, right? Yeah. And and making it all useful to humans in the form of an application. That's application.
0: a hard thing to do. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and, and so the trade-off is that we construct the models according to relationships that you give us, like, Intersections contain loops and lights and buttons and so on, um, and also between and also allow you room, which is application-specific behavior, like hey intersection, I want you every minute to go off and learn product right or every five seconds, um, which is application-specific, um, but simplify it so every old user can do it.
0: And, yeah, you know,
1: we're yet another experiment in how to do this.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think about. I mean, I I'm fortunate that I that you know, like everyone else in Silicon Valley, although I'm in New Jersey, I have a Tesla, and I look at it, and I'm looking at my screen, and I'm like. Uh, you know, it wants me to go this way, and it's driving itself, but it's going to drive me into a car right now. I have to turn that, you know, and it's thinking about predictive, not doing it very well, by the way, but it, it does most of the time, but every once in a while, it wants to drive you into a car, you know, so I think about how that's reacting and what you have to, th- what it has to compute in order to figure that stuff out, you know, so I think you're in a similar you know, in a similar way, you have to think about, okay, well, what are these parameters? How do we put it together? And what is the, what is the model that we're going to, you know, we're going to spit out there. So, you know, it's very complex and it's a very, it's not an easy thing to solve for, you know, and make that in a user-friendly way that, you know, that's manageable. So the
1: key uh, thing is you want these models to be self-constructing. So I don't wanna to have to build model of Houston and Las yes. Vegas and, and so on. I want the same code to just work where I happen to the players. Yeah, And that's a key requirement for us.
0: Yeah, I, I thought about this and I had talked about this with a previous guest is that it may be there's a middle ground. Maybe you can make a, and I don't know enough about AI. So I'm just kind of spitballing it out there, but maybe you can make a models that are generic enough that you can just make a model marketplace that for your industry and your environment, you could have a model that's close enough that then you could just tweak it. You know, <laughs> I think um, that, uh, that's that's going to happen. Yeah, for
1: sure. People <laughs> will sell pre-trained models, for things. Yeah. Yeah.
0: and there should be. And we, this is another thing we were talking about. There should be more standards around that. So if you want to have that model in a certain format, then you should be exchangeable between different environments and different, you know, different things.
1: We're at the early stage of that, and the big guys are trying to race to lock it up, right? So Amazon has their feature store and their model store. And okay. uh, so so you can bet that the big guys want all the models to run in the world, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, so let's go back to Swim for a second here. What What is it that – is it a SaaS service? Is it a no, – no, no. No? Okay. So, so... go of our customers' run – well
1: in their cloud or hybrid or in that public cloud yeah um but it's software and indeed it's open source you can just go to sim and download and run it
0: oh wow i might actually go try that out um so so you you get it you run it does it require any kind of gpus or any does it use basic intel processors what is it So yeah, we Mike, is a, Mike is a gearhead. If you haven't noticed, we yeah, like yeah.
2: behind Mike, and there's about 1,000 wires and <laughs> optical lasers and 3D printer, so he needs to know the, the raw hardware. So Swim, swim is
1: very simple. Um, we run on the JVM or the VM. Sure. Okay. We deploy in one or more instances, typically on Kubernetes, but sometimes native. Okay. And then all we want is IP. Okay, and then so you're about to see here another contradictory thing. In, since you're a cloud native guys, you know all this ICO garbage. Forget it and microservices. Okay, swim is going to build this model of these actors, which we call web agents, and they're going to span across all these instances. The object ID is a URI. That's why they're called web agents. Okay, so we always know where to find them, and. Swim builds a mesh of instances and moves these little objects around runtime based on their affinity for resources. So I might find that the thing that translates the voltages to red and green for an intersection naturally migrates close to the data. Okay, And the thing which is doing um, analysis and prediction for traffic will naturally migrate to a GPU attached instance in the cloud. Okay. And swim does all that migration for you at the application layer. And because these objects link to each other, we solve the, well, we know where they are, but also we solve it as semantic layer, right? That is a link is a bit like a sub, but it's just, it's a sub full of semantics. And so, um, they always have access to each other's data independent of where they are. And so we don't have to worry about the kind of DevOpsy thing of where is this microservice running? They always manage to find each other.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I think that you know the the reason why Kubernetes and some of these container platforms are popular is because people aren't thinking about this kind of homogeneous spin on things. They're yeah. saying let's take all these little pieces. We don't know how they're going to run, you know, uh, together, but if we put them in containers and they might run well enough that the, all we need to do is have some kind of web link between them and let them communicate and that'll work. And the other thing is, is that, you know, and I could say this because I come from development background too, is that developers are lazy. We want to create the, pull the code out from somewhere else, kind of glue things together and create some glue code in order to create something. That's That's what we do. So
1: (laughs) Well, we, we we value outcomes just as much as anybody else. Yeah, about absolutely, that? nice absolutely, absolutely. And, But the but the key point here, and uh, in in our customers in general, the Kubernetes people are the IT people, so they're delivering us a runtime app infrastructure, right? Yep. They might also run Kafka or Pulsar or whatever the event streaming, but um, but our customer tends to be the application owner. Yeah, who wants to improve traffic flow through a city. Actually, that's an interesting one. I'll get, get to it in a sec, but wants to improve connectivity in their mobile network or something. On the traffic side, actually, I'll tell you a cool story here. The These predictions, so Las Vegas, I have 5,000 intersections, each of which predicting its own future two minutes out, right? And those predictions stream directly into customers own infrastructure. So a FedEx or a Google or an Uber without the city having to know about it. Cause hmm. the city is definitely not going to understand this stuff.
0: <laughs> That's pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I just being in multiple conventions in Vegas, I could I could understand then the traffic there. You know, it's uh it's definitely an interesting one because you, you know the best way to get around Vegas is probably to walk or take the train. Uh, although Elon put a you know something in there now that's that's can get you from one place to another. But like said, the last time I was in Vegas, I
2: took uh, a self-driving car. So yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, that data should be used for more. I mean, Vegas to me should be the smartest city around. I mean, it's a contained city. It should be the smartest city around.
1: (laughs) And and it's well instrumented. I mean, to their credit, they have a a very, uh, sharp IT department in the city, but trying to get them to build apps, why bother, right?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but really, they could they could leverage that as a source of income if they had yeah. all that data and created API endpoints and then charged for that data. That would be the way to to go about yes. it.
1: <laughs> yes. So Absolutely. so
0: you know, um, that's that's an interesting one. Yeah. Uh, um, where was I going with this? Now <laughs> I lost
2: my track. Well, my tre- I, I think but. I think we're uh, we're reaching kind of uh, the the time here, and you know, I want to give Simon an opportunity to kind of. Uh, leave us with some final thoughts. So, um, you know, Simon, generally we ask uh, the, the guests to give us some some key takeaways, um, some things that you think uh, should be the last thing that our listeners hear after the, after the, the conversation. Okay. So anything you, uh, you want to share? Yeah. Sure.
1: So, you know, this idea of big data, of solving all your problems, it's 15 years old, okay? And there's more data than you can shake a stick at now. So, yeah, there, there's a fundamental requirement to re-examine that. If you analyze, learn, and predict, and then store, instead of store, then analyze, you get to go as fast as Moore's law allows you. That's a million times faster. You get to build models on the fly. They learn themselves, train themselves, and predict, and avoid this whole complicated ops our ML ops or DevOps or whatever. And so there's a massively simpler world ahead And I'm going to summarize that as the term continuous intelligence, you get to get streaming insights as opposed to streaming data. So just streams of events, which are modestly useful, what you get is streaming insights. And it's a very powerful way of evaluating what's going on in the real world, given that we have a huge trend towards event streaming in general.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's a great, great, great thing to think about because, um, you know, it seems to be most of the companies are going the opposite way. And, you know, and really, you know, it's a point of almost reflection that you have to stop and think where, where does it make sense? And do we have to reevaluate where that, where we analyze that data? And really it does make sense when you think about it. And I think there's some artistry behind it that is, um, you know, how much data, what timeframes and yeah. and how to analyze and model that, you know? So I think the, the auto modeling that you're doing is pretty interesting. So I'm lo- I'm, I'm, say, like, I, I
2: don't like want to open a, don't open a
0: whole can of worms,
2: right? But we did even talk about security use cases, for example, where yeah. you know, the, the idea of doing, yeah, the idea of gathering data and then analyzing it and mm-hmm. analyzing it is like, it's like by the time you've done the analysis, it's the, yeah. the threat's gone or, yeah. or it's so, deeper in your network. Yeah, <laughs> learning and getting rid of the raw data is privacy supportive too.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely. true. Yeah,
2: that is very yeah. true. It's a good point. It's cheaper, and uh, you've reduced your uh, your attack surface. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: and all, all of swim is it's tiny. It's two megabytes of code, and it's going to be available in REST. So it's all good.
2: <laughs> great, great. Well, thank that's you awesome. so much for your time today. Um, you know, in the show notes, we're going to include some links um, for our listeners to kind of follow up with uh, if they want to learn a little bit more about Swim. We'll have their blog site linked as well as their Twitter handle. Um, Simon, you know, thanks again for coming on the show. It was a great conversation. It was a blast. Uh, Yeah, is something that we don't talk a lot about. So um, I I think it was a great conversation for for our listeners.
1: Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.